Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. Here we are back at the boot camp. So excited to be with you guys. I just left the great state of the great nation of Texas, and Bob is now there serving. We're pitch hitting for Clifton as he is coming back from COVID and excited to be on here with you, man. Hey, it's good to be here. I'm calling you uh, live from Texas City, Texas. So there you go. The most Texas thing you could ever do. I think so. Um, I'm not wearing a hat or boots today, but I did have a breakfast burrito, Jimbo. It was a, a shack that was unlit. I was there in the dark at about 6.15. And here's the good news. There was a cop car in front of me, so I knew it was going to be good. Exactly. And, and indeed it was. So every every road trip that I take, I'm a breakfast burrito connoisseur, and I found the one in Texas City. Texas. There we go. We do have to talk food for just a moment because we were in St. Louis together and yeah. had uh, a, a beautiful, beautiful Italian sandwich. At mm-hmm. I have no idea how to pronounce this restaurant, which makes me think that's probably even better, right? Like if you go to an Italian restaurant and you're not exactly sure how to pronounce it, that probably means you're in the right place. Yeah, I think it was Gioas, and it's been there 100 years, and we were doing some replant planning for the hub that's coming up, and Kyle Bierman was with us, and we were having a good time, and yeah, Gioas was the joint, and uh, it's been there for a long, long time, and, and we stood in line to get the sandwich, and it was good. Oh, yeah. And then I stood in line again the next day with Keelan Cook, good buddy of ours, the missiologist that's been on here a few times. And we went to a place that he had not tried, but he had seen come up in several articles as a contender for best barbecue in Texas. Wow. He said multiple times he's seen this place come up called The Truth. And let me tell you something, Bob, it's The Truth. (laughs) That's an awesome name, right? It was good. Call yourself the truth barbecue joint. Like you are the standard. I, I love that is a Texasy mentality. And I love it, it. it. I mean, that's that's a statement. When you when you do that, it's a statement, but it delivered. Yes. It was that was some really good brisket. I mean, everything. It was all really everything we had was so good at and we had some great conversations about things God is doing in replanting and revitalization that we're hoping to figure out how to infiltrate seminaries and all sorts of things. So we did a lot of time dreaming and, and having a good time. And then I got to spend a great time with Jim Turnbow there at Golden Triangle Baptist Network. He's doing a great job leading there. But most of all, the highlight of my week, I'm glad to be here virtually with the guru, the below average, the beautiful butterfly kiss singing Bob Bickford. <laughs> Well, thanks, Jimbo. We are doing a series on the podcast right now that is awesome called Leadership Judo. And we've been talking about Les McEwen's leadership styles, visionary operator process, processor synergist. And I love how this helps me think about our team, myself, mm-hmm. and the work that we do. And we're going to talk about something that is uh, true of us. We are both visionaries and operators. 
Yep. And depending on our role, if we're solo or if we're the point guy, or if we're working on the replant team, we, we kind of swing between both of those roles. And I think this is my favorite role in terms of, I, you know, I do like being a visionary, but I think I'm probably a little bit stronger operator. And so that comes with some great joys, but also comes with some great challenges because operators can add a lot to an organization, but they can also add some, like any of the personality leadership styles, they can add some craziness. So I'm going to list off some some highlight 60,000 foot view characteristics of a operator. Mm -hmm. And then I think you're going to add commentary. So we're kind of going to switch roles here for the podcast a little bit. And I'm going to read this characteristic statement that's true of an operator. And then you're going to make some comments and then I'm going to make a joke or two maybe. And then we're going to move on. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So are you ready, Jimbo? I'm ready. Here's the first one. Operators have a bias towards action. Yeah, that is Absolutely, 100% true. Um, I think one of the things that we have to realize, talking about both of us being visionary operators, I just want to say this and in comment to this, what we have learned, and Les teaches us as well, is you cannot wear both hats at once. And you can't simultaneously accomplish both things. And so when you switch in, when I switch into operator mode, Bob, nothing drives me more nuts than someone interrupting me on my way to accomplish a task. And, and, and so the way I've said it, this is, this is the Jimbo way of explaining the mind of an operator. The mind of an operator is always trying to figure out the shortest distance between A and done. We are, we are trying to figure out how do we get this done? And there's almost a tunnel vision that happens in the mm-hmm. sense of everything else around us doesn't really matter right now. You ever seen that that meme of a guy mowing his yard and there's like houses on fire behind him? <laughs> yes. That guy's an operator and he had decided he was going to get the yard done and he had already started cutting it. And then that house caught on fire. I'm just presuming this has to be mm-hmm. what it is, right? Mm-hmm. And he knew he only had five more minutes of cutting. And so he thought, I got to finish. Like mm-hmm. I, I, operators hate, hate leaving something undone. They don't want to return to it. They don't want to come back to it. They want to finish it once they've started it. And so they have that tunnel vision. And so they're going to mow the grass and somebody else will figure out how to get that house not on fire. Somebody else will call 911. Absolutely. And this is really challenging for an operator when they're, they work in a larger setting. Like in a startup, it's a little different. A small staff situation, maybe an agile team, it's a little bit different. You, you really want the operator to make things happen. But in a large corporate setting, in a large team, they're, they're going to be driven nuts by policies and process. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're going to want to try to figure out every single way to violate that process or ignore that policy. And you specifically have some some really fun insights into operators and process. So I want you to share those because you were sharing, you sharing those with me earlier. And I was like, yeah, that's I can relate to that. Yeah. So operators are going to specifically do anything they can to get from A to done as, as fast as possible. And. Mm-hmm they kind of do a mental calculus and count the cost of everything. And they're looking for redundancies that are going to slow them down or anything like that. And they're going to eliminate those ruthlessly. And so when an operator is doing that mental calculus and they come across in their brain a policy or procedure that they're supposed to follow, but to them slows down the process, they realize this is probably going to get me in trouble, but it's going to get the job done and it's going to get the job done quicker. And so if I do this process, it's going to slow me down by 
two or three days, mm-hmm. whereas the result of me skipping the process will be a 20-minute chewing out in the boss's office. <laughs> they just do a mental calculus and they go, okay, I'll just shave off that, right? And so I'll take the 20-minute getting in trouble to spe- – but in the in the long run, this thing's done three days quicker than it would have been, right? Yeah. Minus the 20 minutes that I had to sit in the boss's office while he chewed me out, I got it done, right? And, and so – we, we kind of have to end up building processes for operators that you're not going to convince an operator to want to do a process that they don't understand the purpose of. And so what I would say is either one, you have to show them, you have to, if you could get them to value what this process accomplishes enough that when their mental calculus comes across that process, they see it as productive, then they'll go with it, right? Or... You have to help them see that the consequences of not following that process actually cost them more than following the process. And so understand the operator is not going to change their mind because they disappointed you and you hurt, you know, they hurt your feelings or anything like, like their your feelings don't come into that calculus. (laughs) (laughs) And, And so in that mental calculus, you have to help them see, Hey, it's important, but here's what I'd say, Bob, this is why that enterprise commitment or kingdom commitment that we talk about matters so much. Right. And so, Les has what he calls the inner, we we brought this up every time, and I think it has to come up in every episode. Les has written what he calls the enterprise commitment, which is when working in a team or a group environment, I will make the interest of the enterprise above my personal interest. I will place the interest of the enterprise above my personal interest. And so what we've done in the kingdom commitment is said, when when working in a team or a group or in the church, we're going to place the interest of the kingdom of God, the church, both globally and locally above my personal interest. And so uh, this, this is the key to helping the operator kind of move beyond that maverick lone ranger tunnel vision thinking and see yes it helps get this task done faster if i avoid this but for the good of the team i've got to figure out a way to to work with this and so helping them see either the value through enterprise kingdom commitment or helping them see that the consequences of not doing it are going to cost them more than the consequences of doing it. Yeah, so you've just laid down two leadership judo cards, right? And one is you, and this is kind of the, and Jimbo, you've you've been in a few street fights, haven't you? I mean, you've been, you've been in a couple before your Christian days, or maybe even after, you don't have to disclose that, but. Yeah, I, I will neither confirm nor deny, but there have been, there have been some moments where pain has been had and given. Yeah, so what you've talked about is in judo, you may take a posture or a stance where your opponent goes, I'm not going to move on this guy right now because if I do, he's going to take me down. And what he just explained in terms of the kingdom commitment and then the pain of proceeding and ignoring the process and the policies being greater, those are two things that are going to stop an operator from moving forward. Right? Yep. And so that's that's a that's a combat move that not does not actually lead to like physical contact in judo right so that's the i i just did this pose and you stopped right yeah yep. so I, I think you know when johnny was fighting daniel in karate kid if if he saw him do that crane move again he probably yeah. would not have moved forward yeah. that's karate not judo so i don't want any commenters telling me that i did a karate <laughs> illustration <laughs> absolutely All right. 
<laughs> we gotta we gotta move on to one. Let's do this. This let's do this one short. Operators are strong consultants. Yeah, they're strong internal consultants. Okay. Whenever you have some a project and you're trying to move from big picture planning and strategy to actual implementation and you're you're kind of stuck or trying to figure out how to get there, there are two things that an operator will be able to do very well for you on on your team as a consultant. They one will help you figure out how to get the ball moving to action because they are very driven to action. They are not driven by big sky, blue, big blue sky, cloudy thoughts. They love to take those and interpret those into action. And they're very good at that. But they're also very good at identifying redundancies that are unnecessary. And so they'll show you, hey, we've done this and then we're trying to do it again over here. We don't need to do that over there. We've already done it over here. And so they can help point out redundancies and they can help us make sure we move from planning to actual implementation and getting things done. Love it. All right. Here's here's a here's a unique one. Operators may be hard to find. They're so focused on getting things done that they're going to be wherever that is happening. So that depends on what role they have in your church or organization. And so here's what's great about that is if you can know that and understand that and then make it where you're not expecting them. Like if you take an operator and you're telling him, man, your role is to go disciple young men in our church. But then you also say, but I need you in the office from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. four days a week. Oh, gosh. They're going to hate that. I hate that right now, Jimbo. (laughs) (laughs) I, 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 I I can't remember who it was, but somebody told me a story about how as when they were a pastor, they had a deacon that would that would drive to the church at eight o'clock every morning yes. and mm-hmm. make sure that he reported to his office and mm-hmm. then drive away. And I thought that's miserable, right? One of the first things when I became a pastor is I told them like, look, I'm not going to be sitting in my office all day. Like if church members want to talk to me, I'll be glad to talk to them. I want to, and we can set that up or I can go to their house or whatever. But man, I, I wanted to be out doing things. And so you're, you're not just going to find an operator. You will never find an operator sitting idly. They're gonna. They're not going to sit idle for very long. They're going to get up. They're going to go do something. And if you don't have tasks for them to do, and here's an important thing to think about in a, especially in a church setting where you're dealing primarily with volunteers, there's a chance you will lose an operator from your church if you don't figure out how to harness their operator skills for the good of your church. Yeah. If you don't give them some direction, if you don't use them in some way, and you're just expecting them to, they're not going to be the people that are just going to sit in your pew. They're not going to do that. They will not. As a matter of fact, here's you will identify your operator because they're probably not in the small group. They Because they have a really hard time contemplating the idea of sitting in a room and discussing our feelings about Scripture for an hour. And so they will be in the nursery or they'll be running your sound or they'll be doing parking lot duty. They're there. And, and here's the deal. Don't take that as a level of a reflection on their spiritual maturity. You just have to figure out other ways to disciple and grow them. And I'm not saying they shouldn't be in a small group. I think they should, but they need something to do. And so if you don't ever give an operator to do they will probably leave your church. Yeah. And so the judo move with an operator who doesn't want to sit in a circle, be in a group is hard to find. Some judo moves would be to schedule an appointment with them in the field where they are and do a walk and talk, right? Or 
just a 10 minute quick check in. Hey, here are a couple of things I want to run by you or ask you about, um, particularly maybe harnessing their buy in to your thing by inviting them to consult you on, on a particular thing. Let me tell you uh, a judo move I did with an operator. I just, just thought of this. So yeah. I had a couple of these guys. They would never go to a small group. They would never go to anything like that. So here's what I did. I just remember this. So we had a little golf cart that they would do. We, they would end up doing security in, right? So what I did is I found a couple of guys who were really good at disciple making. And I told them, hey, you're going to be that guy's partner on security duty twice a month. And while you're riding around in the golf cart, they're going to want to chat. Just you, your job is to chat towards spiritual things and mm-hmm. to disciple them without them knowing that they're being discipled. And and so that was a I was a leadership judo thing I did with some operators at our church is is they were being discipled without ever knowing that that was actually what was happening because they were doing security while being discipled. I love it. That's an awesome move. That's like a a double black belt <laughs> judo move. I love it. Here's another one. Um, I think operators can be confused as being self-starters mm-hmm. sometimes. And one of the things that's true about us, Jimbo, and I think it's probably why we like each other so much, is we're both uh, strong in operator, but we're also strong in visionary. So blank mm-hmm. page doesn't bother us. In fact, we kind of like that. Like, give me, give me a blank page, let me fill it up, and then turn me loose to go after it, right? Both of us enjoy that kind of thing. Yeah. But some operators aren't blank page because they don't have that visionary component. So can you describe the difference between an operator that has visionary and an operator that doesn't? If an operator is either primarily or secondarily also a visionary, then a blank page is not scary to them, but the danger they could end up in is what Les calls the artisan trap because you can't be both simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And so they'll fill up the blank page with where they're going to go and then they'll go execute. But the whole time that they're going to execute and implement that big vision and plan, they're no longer dreaming and visioning. And so when they complete, they'll just have to start the process over again. There are certain roles where that works fine, but in the lead role, that's as as lead pastor, both of us have talked about how that's difficult, right? And what we've got, what we had to learn in that lead role is be able to delegate the execution sometimes so that we can keep leading in a visionary way. But if an operator doesn't have visionary as their primary or secondary, then they don't want a blank page. They don't really know what to do with a blank page necessarily. What they want is here's the goal, here's the win, here's what we're trying to accomplish. And then they want some white space, some autonomy left on the page to go figure it out. Uh, And they don't want to be micromanaged or supervised really much at all. Uh, But they're such hard workers and so self-directed that a lot of times people mistakenly perceive them to be self-starters, meaning that they're good with a white page. But that's not the thing. they need something to get them started. They have to be pointed in a direction or they prefer to be pointed in a direction and then left free to run. And so just understanding that difference, because I think one of the mistakes we make sometimes is we take a guy who's really good operator and he's such a hard worker and he's so loyal and he's so committed that we, we elevate him into a visionary role because we think, man, this guy's such a great leader. I'm going to put him in this visionary role. And he'll probably say yes to doing it, and and then he'll eventually struggle with it and not maybe not know why if he doesn't know this language and understanding these leadership styles. He'll just struggle with, 
man, I've, you know, my dad is a great example of this. My dad's very much an operator, worked in paper mills for a very long time. And I remember a moment late in his career when he got promoted really high up in the organization. And within six months, he demoted himself because, <laughs> because he was like, this is miserable. Like I, I just sit in an office and I'm in uh, behind a computer and I'm in meetings all day. And he was like, I just get me back out there in, in the mill, <laughs> fixing problems. And so he, he demoted himself and took a pay cut because he hated it. Mm. And, and that's, that's typical with an operator. They're such hard workers and they're so good at what they do that we end up elevating them in a position that they don't even really enjoy. Yeah. And there's a different skill set, right? And, and that is kind of like the player who's excellent at his sport and executing his sport, but then he's promoted to the coach or the trainer and, you know, the manager. And he's just like, he, he can't do it. He can, he can get stuff done and mm-hmm. with excellence and can perform with excellence, but really has a, a, a difficult time helping others to do that too. So that's a, that's an important distinction. He, here's another one. Operators tend to overcommit. Yeah. So they have this disposition to action. And so, Les McEwen says in his book, The Synergist, a direct result of this disposition to action is a tendency to overcommit, albeit only to these thing, those things that they want to do. Operators love not only to do the specific task directly associated with their job, but also to fix things that are broken or in need of repair. They also have an optimistic interpretation of the elasticity of time. And so they love getting things done. And so when you give them more opportunities to get things done, they're going to say yes. And along the way, they're going to see broken things and redundancies in other people's processes and projects. And they'll yes. they'll just start fixing those things too, because it, it, like, it bothers them in almost like a OCD moment of like, uh, don't do it that way. And, and they mm-hmm. want to go fix. And so they'll jump in and they'll start overcommitting themselves and other things. They'll almost always say yes to any task presented that feels like something they could accomplish and they want to accomplish, uh, regardless of how many other commitments they have. And then the elasticity of, of time also will focus in. If you catch them in the right moment, most operators are pretty gregarious. And so they'll love to chat with you for you know a little while, and and which is not realizing that they also have seventeen other commitments that day. Yeah. And so you have to figure out if you're working with somebody, you got to do what Les calls pulling the weeds and figure out, man, where have they overcommitted in ways that we probably need to figure out somebody else on the team to do these things, so that they can do the most important things well. Mm-hmm. So one of the the judo moves with an overcommitted operator is to remind them um, of their lane, I think, to just to say, hey, man, I, that's a great insight. But man, I, I think I think here's what we're doing in this area. And I appreciate that. And, and maybe here's a little bit of a, a snarky response. How's it going with your project? I, I've heard that, you know, you guys are just started on that. And what it does is it forces the operator back into his reality. Right. So it's a judo move. Right. Yeah. To remind them of your lane, their lane. Ask them about their reality because I, I, when you're talking about the fact that as an operator, sometimes you have a tendency to think you can fix everything, and if you could just give a little bit of time here, it's going to make a big difference, right? And I find mm-hmm. myself doing that a lot of time, thinking, well, man, if they would just do this, this, and this, everything in their world would be great, right? And so, some of it's a presumption on my ability and my insight of not knowing enough, right, and not knowing all the background. 
But it's always helpful for somebody to remind me of my lane, their lane, and to ask me the question about how's it going in my world. So it kind of puts me back. So I think one of the things that I've learned in Marriage Jimbo is that the way that my wife and I go about tasks around the house are completely different. Mm-hmm. And she is a, she's probably more of a processor and asking questions and wanting a process and wanting a, you know, here's the five responsibilities, et cetera. I'm more of an operator. I go by feel, I'll hunch, you know, gut. I can go, well, if I'll do it this way. Well, when you, when we bring those personality styles into the way we do, the way we cook a meal, the way we do work around the house, the way we approach a task, we can often find ourselves at odds in some ways. Like she'll want to ask me before I start something, how, how are we going to do it? What are the three things, you know, what, what are the steps, all this kind of stuff? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I just do it. Like, I just make it happen. And then when she's doing what makes sense to her and she's got a, a way she's doing it, it drives me insane because I'm like, that's the most inefficient way that you could ever approach this task. Like, I think it, I, I could do it this way and I could do it that way better. So. Here's what I've learned. I just keep my mouth shut and I go into the next room. And that that's just, that's some good advice. So I just want to share that. That's a judo move yourself, <laughs> self-judo move. If you're an operator, keep your mouth shut and go into the next room. I think that will help you get a long way. Yeah. Here, here's the greatest judo move with an operator. If you can get them to see the value and understand the skills of true delegation and development, leadership development and be able to know how to say, hey, let me train you to do what I do. Uh, And so you got an operator who's great at whatever role in the church. Chances are you can identify your operator because they don't, they're not developing anybody underneath them because the development of somebody underneath them feels like it slows down. I mean, it doesn't get them to done as quick, right? They're thinking, how do I get from A to done? And stopping to teach and develop somebody along the process slows that down. Um, And so really that Ephesians 4 mindset of it is the leader's role to equip the saints to do the work of ministry, that part for an operator is really difficult. The let me equip, but if you can get them to flip in their mind that done isn't the task being done, but developing and equipping someone else to do the work of ministry is the done. Man, that's one of the most valuable things you can do is get an operator to see that Ephesians 4 mentality of ministry. That ministry is about developing people, not about getting tasks done. And getting tasks done through, that's a weird concept for an operator, but if you can get them to flip that switch, and start discipling and developing leaders. Man, you have unleashed something great. Awesome. Man, this has been fun to talk about these leadership styles, and we recommend Les McEwen's books to you. We'll put some of them in the show notes. And then we'll be back next week talking about processors. And I think, Jimbo, it could be the most maligned leadership style, the most misunderstood, but one of the most important uh, for us to, to really embrace as we think about leading in the church and leading uh, our organizations. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, 
and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches, big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.